pray. Oh God, you heard our you heard our desire. You say sing, we sing. You say pray, we pray. You say shout, we shout. That's the kind of year we wish for on the cusp of this new year here at Andrews University. We come to this moment where Holy Scripture engages our minds and addresses our hearts. Let, let this be clear. Humbly, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. San Francisco Chronicle, right here in my hands, dated July 21. May I read it to you? Dateline, Aurora, Colorado. For the six friends, the movie was to be the kickoff to a day of celebration. Megan Saunders was turning 20, and her best buds were home from college for the summer. She had one particular birthday wish that they all hit the midnight premiere of the new Batman flick, The Dark Knight Rises. Inside theater number nine of the Century 16 complex in Aurora, the atmosphere couldn't have been more festive. Little boys had donned their Batman masks while others were clad full on as the Cape Crusader. A woman near the front was dressed as Catwoman. When the lights dimmed at 12.05 a.m., a cheer went up, followed by an even bigger shout when Bruce Wayne appeared on the big screen. Megan and her friends sat side by side in the fourth row from the front, engrossed in a movie they had long anticipated about a superhero facing down evil. Then the emergency exit door burst open. And suddenly evil was no longer the stuff of comic books and summer blockbusters. The man stood only feet from them, clad in black, wearing goggles and a gas mask, holding a hissing canister in one hand and a gun in the other. For an instant, Megan thought maybe he was a SWAT team member. Next to her, her 19-year-old friends Emma Goose and Hannah Judson thought it was all just a part of the show, some extra th theatrics to help set the mood. It would take only seconds for these childhood friends to realize the horror of what was about to unfold. The man in black lobbed the canister into the crowd as smoke spewed into the, the darkness. He fired one shot at the ceiling, then he started up the aisle. Megan and her friends hit the floor as people all around them began screaming. Two rows in front of Megan and her friends, 22-year-old Jennifer Seeger, studying to become a firefighter paramedic, felt bullet cases falling on her head, burning her skin. Behind her, people moaned and pleaded, please don't shoot me. In the upper section of the theater, 41-year-old Marcus Weaver, a father of two, heard children crying for their mothers and parents frantically crying, Where are you? All the while, the gunshots kept coming. He later said it was just pow, pow. All you saw was the light of the gun flash between the smoke, then pow, pow. From the ground in row four, Megan and Emma heard a round of 20 to 25 shots. Then for an instant, Maybe 15 seconds, the firing stopped and an eerie silence fell over the theater. He was simply reloading. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Within hours of the Aurora Massacre, in which 70 Americans, men, women, teenagers, and children, 12 of them, 70 Americans gunned down 12 of them, their lives extinguished by a single bullet from the hand of that 24-year-old graduate student, a Ph.D. in neuroscience major at the University of Colorado. Within hours of the massacre, the social and moral postmortem began. Let me put the words of David Poland on the screen for you. He writes for the blog site MovieCityNews.com. You see it there? Poland writing, this is someone coming into our chosen church. I thought that was interesting language. Coming into our chosen church and killing people who are sharing the communal experience that is so much a part of so many of our lives. It was a massacre of some of the most enthusiastic members of the movie-loving community. End quote. America's chosen church. Is that how he puts it? Then what have they been showing lately in church? The Batman trilogy had already come under moral scrutiny when the Dark Knight which is the precursor to the final piece, The Dark Knight Rises, when The Dark Knight was released. In The Dark Knight, the celebrated Hollywood actor Heath Ledger played the Joker, an evil protagonist described by one reviewer this way, the Joker was like the devil personified, calmly and enjoyably spreading evil wherever he went. What kind of evil? Listen to Jenny McCartney film critic with The Telegraph, that's a London newspaper, put her words on the screen. The greatest surprise of all, even for me, after eight years spent working as a film critic, she has seen hundreds and hundreds of films. The greatest surprise of all for me has been the sustained level of intensely sadistic brutality throughout the film. She goes on to describe the scenes, words I, I can't even put, just from her description, I can't put it on the screen. Let me just quote a line. Her critique continues, the film begins with a heist carried out by men in sinister clown masks. As each clown completes a task, another shoots him point blank in the head. The scene ends with a clown, the Joker, stuffing a bomb into a wounded bank employee's mouth. And you can imagine the rest. Later she writes in her critique, a plainly terrorized child, seen on the screen, a plainly terrorized child is threatened at gunpoint by, gunpoint by a man with a melted face. All, she writes, it is all intensely realistic, end quote. Hey, listen, guys. Think, 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 think with me. Is it any wonder, then, when the filming of The Dark Knight was completed, but before it was released to the public, Heath Ledger, the actor playing the Joker, was found dead of a drug overdose. And is it any wonder that when the real-life gunman showed up a few minutes after midnight this summer in Aurora, Colorado, James Holmes, he shows up painted as the evil, dark, incarnate joker, red, dyed hair and all? Could it be? Could it be possible that the dark night is darker than anybody first thought? One reviewer described The Dark Knight Rises as containing, and I'm quoting now, one of the most memorably brutal fights ever portrayed in the movies, disturbingly realistic and larger than life at the same time. 
Roger Morley, a columnist for, for Trumpet.com, exclaims, and I put uh, Morley's words on the screen, this was the movie that people wanted to see so badly that they took their infants with them? Parents, have we lost our minds? Could it be possible, ladies and gentlemen, that the dark night is darker than the public realizes? Maybe he isn't who we thought he was. Read it with me now. I've just been reading it to you. Open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, a passage written for this moment of transition in society. This world you and I live in, this third millennium. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you didn't bring a Bible. Just pull the Pew Bible out in front of you. It's page 796 in the Pew Bible. I'm in the new, new international version today. And I want to read these words with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Let's put it on the screen. There we go. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you for, verse 2, you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Verse 3, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And I suppose I need to, to, to hasten to explain why on this tranquil moment of a, of a new year at Andrews University, we would be examining this Hollywood production that is now grossed, by the way, as of this week, $423 million in box office receipts. Why talk about the dark night rises at all? Because could it be that the tragedy in Aurora this summer is a dress rehearsal for the reality on this planet soon to come? Could it be that what happened in that Midnight theater is a metaphor of what is about to happen on planet Earth. Could it be for Earth a dark night is rising? By the way, that night is not with a K. Could it be the dark N night is now rising for the human race? You remember the survey? Those of you who were here last spring, you remember we took a survey in, uh, in April, a couple of them. Over my study break, I had a chance to pray over all of those responses. Hands down! 18 to 25, 25 to 40, 40 to 60, hands down, no matter the age, the number one request was, Pastor, would you please preach on the second coming of Jesus, the end of the world, and last days? No matter the age, the interest is peaked. And so over my study break, I had the opportunity to examine just how dark the night is that is slowly hemorrhaging across this nation and world. A few days into the break, the Aurora tragedy happened, and the title to this miniseries presented itself rather quickly. They put the title slide for this little miniseries. Only three, only three teachings long. The dark night rises one, the dark night rises two, the dark night rises three. Next week, we begin to disassemble the evidence indicating we are in the thick of the dark night now. You see a website on there, I want to say to those of you who are listening right now or watching on a screen, delighted to have you. That website is where you can get the study guide. We'll get to the study guide in just a moment. The website, www.pmchurch.tv. You go to the Dark Night uh, series, you'll see study guide part one, and you'll be ready to go. Only four times, count them, one, two, three, four, only four times does the Apostle Paul ever use a double negative in the Greek. And here comes one of them. Let's, let's, let's read it again. 
verse 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Let's hit the pause button right there because there's the night metaphor. It came as a surprise to me as I'm, I'm getting ready for this little mini-series to discover that nighttime over and over again in the New Testament, nighttime portrays the return of Christ. It's at nighttime. Let me run some uh, text. In fact, grab your study guide right now. Uh, ushers, let's go. Bless your hearts. Let's, if you didn't get a study guide, hold your hand up and our ushers will come your way. But I'm going to just keep moving here. Thank you, ushers, up in the balcony as well. Bless you. Let's go with a study guide. Let's go to this first text, the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 24, verse 43. Jesus says, the com His coming will be like a thief in the night. Well, we just heard that from Paul. Well, where do you think Paul got it from? He got it from the Lord. Look at, the, look at Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 39. Even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak, be on the alert. There's night again. John chapter 9, verse 4. Night, write that in. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus speaking of the end. You jump ahead in the New Testament. You have Paul in Romans chapter 13, verse 12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. By the way, if you're getting your study guide a little late, I'll give you a clue. Every blank is filled with the word night. All right. Just to, Oh, I missed it. No, you didn't miss it. The night is nearly over. Paul, just, we just read this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Peter not willing, not wanting to be left out. Here goes Peter, 2 Peter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In fact, I, in a further study, I discovered, get this, that the early church actually believed that Jesus would come at midnight. At midnight. Jerome, the church father, He's the one that links that, that belief to a Jewish tradition that said, even as the Lord came down upon Egypt with the mighty Passover deliverance, even so the Messiah would also come at midnight. Midnight in Egypt, midnight at the Messiah's return. And guess what? I go to that apocalyptic classic, Great Controversy. I take a look in there. Here's what I find. You'll have to fill it in in your study guide. Great Controversy. It is at midnight. Amazing. It is at midnight that God manifests His power for the deliverance of His people. The sun appears, shining in its strength. Signs and wonders follow in quick succession. In the midst of the angry heavens is one clear space of indescribable glory. The glory from the throne of God seems flashing, flashing through. The clouds sweep back, and the starry heavens are seen unspeakably glorious in contrast with the black and angry firmament on either side. Keep reading. The glory of the celestial city streams from the gates ajar. Soon there appears in the east a small black cloud about half the size of a man's hand. Look, at here's a man's hand right here. Half the size of a man's hand would be to go like this. A small black cloud in the distance, half the size of a man's head. It is a cloud which surrounds the Savior and which seems in the distance to be shrouded in darkness. The people of God know this is to be the sign of the Son of Man, end quote. Dark night rises. Turns out prophets from the beginning have been seizing that metaphor to describe the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, the end of the world, nighttime. Pick it up again in verse 2. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. There it is in the Greek, double negative. You will know not escape. Just in case you missed the first one, Paul says, let me throw another one in. You will know not escape. 
boom, it'll happen. Just like that. Just like Aurora, by the way. And you will know, not escape. Now, I have good news for you. Paul's not writing about the friends of Jesus. That's the good news. He's writing, he's describing to the friends of Jesus how it will be for those who are not watching and praying and waiting. Maybe even in a community like this, it can happen. You know, people who never speak. Have you ever met people like this? They never speak of the end of the world. You'll never hear them access the last day's paradigm. You will never hear on their lips the second coming of Christ. It's as if it were a non-event. And I can understand. I mean, come on. It's no doubt they're tired of being disappointed again and again. So not another series, please. But they, 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 they banish that notion with a, with a nifty little bit of cheerful philosophy that says it really doesn't matter. And it goes like this. Here's this it doesn't matter philosophy. So look, I mean, come on. What difference does it really make? If he comes today, I'm ready. I'm going home with Jesus. But if he doesn't come for a long time, hey, guess what? I get to finish my education. I'm going to marry a beautiful girl. We're going to raise a wonderful family. I'm going to find a glorious career. And then I'm going to come to retirement and sit back and live on the fruits. And one day, at a, as a happy old man, I will die. And then the end shall come. I mean, what's not to like about that? Hey, listen, that little bit of feel-good philosophy, why don't, you tell that to the, why don't you tell that to the 80 million people who this year will starve to death, one human being every 3.6 seconds. You go up to them and you say, hey, listen, it doesn't matter whether he comes now or forever. Who cares? For whom these 80 million? Deliverance now would mean salvation. Deliverance now would mean the difference between life and death or painful agony until death comes. You tell that to the 80 million who will starve to death on the planet this year. Tell that, keep your pen moving. Tell that to the 46 million in the United States who are living on food stamps. Can you believe that? 46 million Americans don't have enough money to, to buy their own food, so they're living on food stamps. Tell that to the 1 million people who commit suicide every single year, 30,000 in the United States alone. Hey, don't worry about it. I know you're without hope. I know you're despairing right now, but hey, whether Jesus comes now or whether Jesus comes later, just hang in there, buddy. How could you ask anybody to hang in when his life, when her life is melting down? It makes all the difference in the world. Tell that, jot this down, will you? Tell that to those who are sexually assaulted every two minutes in the United States. 24 hours a day, every two minutes, male and female, sexually assaulted. Tell them, just live with your guilt. Just live with, a, with, your, with your concern, your fear that you caused it when you didn't. Just live with that awful wound. And if Jesus comes at the end of your life, you ought to be thankful. Tell that to them. Whether Jesus comes now or 100 years from now, who cares? God cares, that's who. God wants to come and stop this insanity. He wants to return and end this midnight of despair and pain. He wants to come. The sooner he comes, the less pain will be experienced by the human race. It's a big deal when he comes. The problem is, I'll tell you what, the problem, the glaring weakness of those who live by the I have a wonderful airtight world in which I live securely in a middle-class Christian Adventist bubble philosophy. The glaring weakness of that philosophy is that they have totally written off the majority world of immense suffering, crippling pain, heartache, and despair. Just written it off. 
How could you do that? Of course it matters. Such a who cares. Would you jot this down, please? Such a who cares when Jesus will come thinking is utterly vacuous. That's a new word. Memorize that word. Put it on the screen. Make sure you spell it right. Utterly vacuous, which being interpreted means it is airheaded. It is empty-headed. That philosophy is worthless. Yet people use it to assuage their consciences. Who cares? We'll get there. He'll come. Of course it matters. Because while I'm enjoying my vegan cottage cheese loaf every Sabbath day, every 3.6 seconds, somebody else on this miserable planet is dying of starvation. Don't you tell me it doesn't matter when Jesus comes. It matters that he comes soon. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Come soon, I beg of you. I'm tired of divorce. I'm tired of disease. I'm tired of destruction. I am tired of melting down. Come and deliver me. It's okay to wish Jesus to come. Sometimes people make us feel selfish for wanting him to come soon. You're not selfish. You're human. And you need liberation from this concentration camp that the dark night is holding us in night and day. Amen. Yeah. Yep. We act as if the great goal of life is to enjoy the arts, relish beauty, bask in the heady, while the vast majority of the world collapses into a dark and hellish end. That's why two emails that I received from two young adults, one at the beginning of the summer, the other at the end of the summer, two emails have stirred up my mind and soul. In this sermon, I'm going to share the first one. I'll hold the other one till next week. Let me read this to you. This one came at the beginning of the summer. It's from my young friend, Peter Domsticht, Andrews University student, student missionary right now in Bangkok, Thailand. Peter grew up in this little village. Went to academy with his mother. Hello, Pastor Dwight. He's not a member of this congregation. Hello, Pastor Dwight. Doing student missions over here in Thailand this semester has been quite eye-opening. Before I ever left, I thought to myself that all was good out in the mission field. Before I left, I used to think of places like North Korea where the only locations left to be reached by the gospel. Yet I'm working here in Bangkok, city of millions, and there is so much need spiritually. Even people in this what we call reached area have no idea who Jesus is other than some word maybe they've heard on the Hollywood movies that roll through here. Oh, sure, there are little pockets of missionaries here and there all over the world, yet there is so much work to be done. I'm doing video stuff mostly with a little graphic design, and no, I'm not in the middle of nowhere. There's Wi-Fi, there's mobile phone service, food places just down the street where I live. Yes, there are regions out in the middle of jungles that need to be reached, but listen, people need to realize that there are mission fields in the cities as well. Missions isn't the typical out-in-the-boonies kind of thing anymore. Either way, I love his heart here. Either way, middle of nowhere or here in the middle of a busy concrete jungle, people are dying to hear the gospel. I suppose my point is, and he's giving a little counsel to his pastor friend, I suppose my point is, if you have a sermon series anytime soon that has any reference to missions or spreading the gospel, tell them the truth. It's like nothing is happening out here. We need workers. I remember the words of Jesus when he was looking over the fields in that city. Jesus said the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Indeed, that's true today. And there have been times that I find myself praying for more workers. That kid is sitting in the heart of one of the great cities of earth and he's begging God, can you send somebody else to help us here? 
Last line, I'm, I love this. I really, I'm really getting tired of this world. Let's finish this work. Hope you have a great weekend, Peter. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Pete. You just ruined my day. Now, isn't that something? What's, what, what's going on with Peter? Come on, think with me. What's going on with Peter? I'll tell you what's going on. He's living out the deep conviction that Jesus is coming soon. That's what he's doing. He's living with it. He's using it to interpret the paradigm of life. It's, it's, it's precisely what Paul is saying here. Look, look at verse 4. Keep reading here. But you, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. No, no. Verse 5, you are all children of the light and children of the day. I love that. If I were tweeting one line from this teaching today at the opening of the year at Andrews University, that would be the line I tweet. Put it on the screen, please. You are all children of the light. You are all, doesn't matter what you are demographically your age, you are all, I, we are all children of the day. Wow. What's happening with Peter? I'll tell you what's happening. Here's what's happening. The immensity of the need drives us to the Savior who is the light of the world. If you don't know Jesus, but you're hearing about him, you're thinking about him every now and then, the light penetrates your mind and the light exposes the darkness in you. And it drives you, hopefully, not further from the light, but it hopefully draws you closer to the light. So it's either the darkness in you that you sense when you come to the light of the world, or it's the darkness in your world that you sense. Either way, it drives you to go to the one who is the light. In fact, Jesus put, this, put it this way in John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, hey, listen, everybody. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, 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 yo, 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 before you leave here, yo, yo, before you leave, I want you to bring your darkness to me. You came into this place with darkness in you. You came into this place with darkness in you, but I'm asking you to bring your darkness to me. Bring your darkness to me. I'll take your darkness. If you bring darkness into the presence of light, darkness is gone and light remains. Bring your darkness to me. Come to me. The dark night has had his way in your heart too long. Say no to the dark night. Say yes to the morning star. Come to me. I'll give you light. And I'll drive, I'll banish that darkness. You are a child of the light. You are a child of the day. Come to me. I am the light of the world. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. So I, so I wrote Peter. I wrote it back. I said, Peter, bless you. He replies to my reply. And he gives me the website to a blog. He's been keeping a blog over there. And... Uh, you can find him just by uh, Googling his name. But let me read to you a blog. I found a blog. This is March 30, Bangkok, Thailand, March 30. He's just finished a week of prayer for little Buddhist kids, all right? They've been singing Jesus songs, but they're little Buddhist kids. And his heart has been moved as he's seen them react to the story of Jesus. And he's going back to his room. The week of prayer is over. Here we go. In walking back to the mission compound, I could not help but shed a couple of tears. I love the guy's heart. I love his heart. I could not help but shed a couple of tears. Guys aren't embarrassed about admitting the tears spring to our eyes when the need is immense. I could not help but shed a couple of tears. Here in the middle of the world, there is so much darkness. And Oh, hold on. And the candles that could be out here or any other dark place shining in the darkness are wrapped up in other lighted rooms, if you catch my drift. 
Can you believe it? We got 3,000 candles on this campus and we're all where we don't need lights. And the candle is not making a flicker of a difference. What makes a difference for candles is if you take them out of a lighted room and you put them in a dark room, one candle can make an immense difference. He says, you got all those candles. Come on out here where it's dark. Wow. There are honestly so few missionaries in the world. I'd love to be proven wrong, but from seeing for myself and from talking to other missionaries and hearing from world church leaders, I'm not very far off. You think it's happening, but it is not. Last line, honestly, I don't want to be here in this world anymore. It is so messed up. Whether or not you choose to join the ranks of reaching others and spreading the gospels up to you, but as long as I have breath in me, there is at there's at least one more person somewhere that I have to reach and I have faith that God will lead me to that person. As long as there is breath in me, somebody else is alive and I will go to him with my candle. What happens when you believe Jesus is coming soon? When you believe the dark night is rising as it has never risen in the history of the human race, when you realize that if we don't get a light to some of these soon, they will perish forever and ever. When it hits you, you get a few tears in your eyes, walking back to your dormitory room, and you say, oh God, I cannot, I cannot hold my candle where the light is so bright. Send me to a dark room somewhere on behalf of him who is the light of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the truth. Put it on the screen again. You are all children of the light and children of the day. That's the truth about you and me. So what shall we do? Isn't this amazing? The new year is barely a Sabbath old and already our hearts are being confronted by the Spirit of Christ, His call to move out into this dark world for Him, not waiting until we graduate, but right now. Not waiting until we retire, but doing so right now. Not waiting till we're in a nursing home, but doing so right now. Light a candle. Go out into that darkness. Twelve miles up the road from us right now is an inner city where we have planted a beachhead called Harbor of Hope. At three o'clock this afternoon, the buses will be lining up from front of Lampson Hall. Get on a bus. Drive to that inner city and join a band of young missionaries who are lighting candles for the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to go overseas. You can do it right here. We've got the city for you. The dark night is rising, but it can still be penetrated by the children of light. So I say, let us heed the admonition of that ancient Chinese proverb. Put it up, please. Do not curse the darkness. Light a candle. Read that out loud with me. Do not curse the darkness. Light a candle. Light a candle. Light a candle. I wish on this opening Sabbath to rededicate my life to light as many candles as Jesus asked me to light on this planet before he comes. How about you? I want to light a candle for Jesus. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. I want to light a candle for Jesus. Don't you? Share that with me in, a, in the Connect card today. Open your worship bulletin. There's a Connect card inside. There's a connect card inside. This is a very important moment. There's some of you who are going to make a life-changing decision right now, and I need you to be listening very carefully to the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to try not to speak over His voice in your mind. On the front of the card, just write your name. Please put your email address because some of these responses will necessitate sending material to you through cyberspace. So make sure you put your name here. I'd like to know, you know, your little demographic. And... Uh, 
and, and then your, your uh, email address. Turn the card over. Turn the card over. We call this my next step. Because look, what's the point of having a teaching like this and nobody does anything? We all go home to that vegan cottage cheese loaf and we are, none, we are unchanged. We can't be unchanged. We cannot be unchanged. We cannot be unchanged. Don't worry about the noise around you. Just focus right now. Focus right now, please. Some of you are going to make a decision right now that's going to change your life forever. I know it. I know it. What are your next steps? Turn it over. He says, my next step today is one. I put a check mark here because I turned these in. My, I would like to dedicate my life today and seek to light as many candles in this dark world as I can until Jesus comes. Is there anybody who says, no, I don't want to be a candle for Jesus? Don't put it there if you don't want to be a candle for Jesus. But if you are willing, put a, join me. Put a check mark right there. Put a check mark. In just a moment, the ushers are coming by, and then we're going to end with the glorious Lord's Prayer that ushers in the new year here at the Pioneer Memorial Church. There's nothing like it, so stay right where you are. The ushers are coming your way. But here's the second box. I would like to know how to become a missionary for Christ in this dark world. Please send me more information. We need your email address. We will send you information. We'll put you in touch with people who can send you anywhere on earth you're willing to go. Would you like more information? Put a check mark there. Here's box number three. I would like to join the Harbor of Hope Kids Zone. That's our children's ministry up in Benton Harbor. I would like to join that. If you put your email address, we will have the leaders there be in touch with you and set you up for a life of holding your candle in an inner city, holding your candle for Jesus. Any one of those would change your life. Any one of those will change your life. But now I want to go to the second box right here, the second box, because this now is where lives spiritually will be changed. Some of you came into this room today with darkness in your heart. It's not an accident you're here. Jesus led you here. But you came with darkness in your heart. You're feeling a bit uncomfortable about how the new year is beginning. You're, you're thinking, you know, I, I really have never gotten it together in a friendship with Jesus. I'm telling you what, my friend. There are only two choices, the morning star or the dark night. You can't have them both. You'll serve one or the other. If your heart is speaking to you now and Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world, come to me. Let me grow a friendship with you. Would you put a check mark here? I'm interested in beginning a relationship with Jesus. We'll send you material th through cyberspace that will help you grow a daily friendship with Jesus. You will never regret this decision. We get these decisions every single week. If you wish and the Spirit is speaking to you right now, put a check mark there. Turn it, turn it in when the uh, offering plate comes in just a moment. We'll get in touch with you within 48 hours. Why go with a dark night into a new year? Go with the light of the world. Why not grow a friendship with him? Put a check mark there. We'll help you. We'll do everything we can. Oh, I'm, I'm interested in baptism. I can't think of a better way to begin a school year. You won't be baptized today or next week, but we'll help you to be baptized soon if you wish. Put a check mark there. Line up with the light of the world. God will bless you. Other, other boxes you can check. I want to pray with you right now. I want to pray with you and pray over every decision that has just been made. Would you bow your head with me, please? Dear God, the dark night is rising. K-N, it doesn't matter. Either way, it's rising. Jesus is coming soon. We cannot live life, business as usual, any longer. And so on the cusp of this new year, Father, take our decisions, our decisions to go for Christ, our decisions to light a candle in this world, in this city nearby, our decisions to begin a new relationship with the light of the world. Take all our decisions and seal them. Don't lose these decisions, God. Lock them in our hearts and minds.
And now as we return to you our tithes and offerings, take our humble gifts to spread the light around the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.